Right now, we are joined by Mr. Josiah Johnson. Find him on Twitter and IG at KingJosiah54. My man, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Appreciate y'all having me on. No problem, man. Listen, man, like I was telling you off the air, we are very proud of what you've been able to do and accomplish, man. You you are a trendsetter in this social media genre for myself and Danny Blanco and many others, man. We're just trying to follow in your footsteps and, you know, fuck off nine to five. Get paid <laughs> on doing some social media tweets and building our own content and get paid for building our, our own content. So you are a, uh, a proud trendsetter and we thank you very much. No, I appreciate y'all. And I got to definitely show love to Deezus Samaro, Dragonfly Jones, Jethro Jenkins, and everybody else out there who is showing us all how to get these bags. Really, like you said, <laughs> Twitter doing all these things. Who would have known we could have made a careers out of these things and we could quit our regular jobs and be out here getting these bags and getting our flares out. Exactly. And as always, I'm joined by a great friend of mine, Mr. Denny Blanco. Find him on Twitter and IG at Sir Denny Blanco. Find me, Rainy J. Cruz, R E N D Y, the letter J C R U Z on both IG and Twitter. So um, let's get right to it, man. People are calling you or have been calling you the king of NBA Twitter. So that's where I'm starting right now. So off the top, off the top. Many fans, I've seen L.A. Times article, New York Times article. Um, when people call you the king of Twitter or NBA Twitter, that, that has to be kind of a humbling kind of feeling. Or are you more like, you're damn right I am. <laughs> nah, man, I try to be as humble as possible. So I always appreciate that stuff. It's funny, man. Like, I, I literally named my account King Josiah 54. I'm a big LeBron fan. He's King James, obviously the King James Bible. There's Josiah in the Bible as well, who's also right. a king. So it's weird to me when people call me that. Like, I don't, I don't ever, I'm the type, man, I don't really believe the, the hype or drink the Kool-Aid. I just like to work every day, keep grinding. Definitely appreciate all the love I've been able to get out of it and all the people that have kind of jumped on with the movement and definitely all the opportunities that have come from it. Mm -hmm. So I'm super thankful on that side, but I just try to be as humble as possible. Like, you'll never hear me refer to myself as the king or anything like that. It always right. throws me off, too. People are like, what's up, king? I'm just like, <laughs> I, I kind of joke. That's how you, I know people who really know me versus who don't, like how they refer to me, because really, I'm just Josiah. Yeah. Denny? I read a couple of articles. I've been following you for a period of time, so I'm just super excited that you're on. Um, one question I have is, uh, you know, that moment in time where that first tweet went viral. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there were a couple of moments after that, but I want I want you to take us into the uh, the moment where you, you said, all right, I, I can't work anymore. I want to do this going forward. What was that yes. moment? So man, I, I got on Twitter. I'm trying to think like I, I had an account since like 2014, 2015. I was doing a show on Comedy Central called Legends of Chamberlain Heights. But I hated social media at that point, man. I didn't really want to use it. I, I thought it was just a waste of time. I didn't really see other than trying to like promote the show, promote myself, what the lane was or what the value would be. And I just don't want to be one of those people that just sat on Twitter all day and, you know, let that thing kind of take over and control my life. But it's funny. So uh, Legend of Chamberlain Heights, I was doing the show. I started doing social media for that show, running the, the show account. And they kind of started to really get a love for it, did a bunch of research, looked at how other shows moved out there, shows like Insecure, Game of Thrones, things like that. And basically really the communities that they built around the shows. So the whole time I was doing that, my wife was in my ear like, yo, this show's not going to be on forever. You need to do some stuff for yourself. Stop doing all this stuff for them. They weren't even really paying me, to be honest with you. So I kind of treat that like grad school. I was kind of mm. getting my PhD in social media. Wasn't really getting paid to do all that stuff, but just was hitting it hard every single day. In addition to all the other stuff I had to do for the show, I was a creator on there, a writer, producer, did a couple of voices. So every time we'd be in a meeting, a production meeting, whatever, I'd be in the VO booth sometime recording my lines. 
and I'm just hitting social media as much as I can, whatever was trending, whatever was topical, whatever way I could find to help infuse the show into the conversation, just doing all that show gets canceled. Uh, you know, I go through kind of a down period in life, not really working, you know, doing stuff I wasn't really you know in love with, but I, I needed a paycheck. So I kind of took her advice then started really hitting it. And then the, the one that really, I can't, I'm, I'm sure I have some stuff that went viral before this, but the one that really did it for me, I want to say it was like 2019, uh, Antonio Brown kind of, you know, obviously was always in the news for doing everything, you know, most mm. recently pulling his dick out and all that other type of <laughs> shit. <laughs> he had bounced from like, you know, he, he had bounced from like two or three different teams. Like he was on the Raiders for a couple of weeks then went over to the Patriots. Yeah. So I, I did a meme, uh, took a uh, clip from Get Out which was like the scene at the party where uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character sees Lakeith Stanfield's character who's already in the sunken place. And Josh Gordon was on the Patriots at that time. So I'm a big Josh Gordon fan, love him. And uh, did a meme of that that interaction where he kind of goes to give him the handshake. And then, you know, he puts his hand over. And he was basically in the, in the sunken place already. And basically for me, that was representative of just Bill Belichick, the Patriot way. Basically when dudes come over there, you know, whoever, maybe Randy Moss, whoever, you know, no more BS. They got to just kind of lock in. So ended up putting that up. Didn't really think much about it. Then it slowly but surely just started going viral and started doing more numbers and more numbers and more numbers. Uh, eventually, Jordan Peele saw it. Jordan Peele quote tweeted it, showed me some love, ended up following me. I sent him a DM. We had both had shows on Comedy Central. So just kind of to thank him for helping blaze the trail, lay the foundation for me to be able to follow in Key and Peele's footsteps and be able to have a show on there as, as a black man in, in America. But from that point, and I was literally, so I was working a job. And I would make these videos because I could edit them super quick on my computer, but I'd have to like turn my laptop to the side so nobody could see what I was doing. We uh. edit these things, drop the video, put it on the Twitter, and I would go sit in the bathroom. I sit like in the last stall in the bathroom, and I'm sure people I work with thought I had like irritable bowels or something because I would just be in there. <laughs> but I'd be in there pants all the way up, like just just sitting there staring the at the problem. computer, re refreshing the screen and just watching the numbers grow up. So. At that point, I kind of got a sense that, th th that there was a world or a land for it. wasn't really making no money doing it at that point, but started to see the following grow. And then from that, more opportunities started to happen. So from that point to now, three years later, and it's funny, man, I look back at, at, at that time, and this is kind of why I don't take, you know, I'm, I'm so humble, don't take anything serious on social. I was doing a lot of like voiceover videos, other shit, just trying to put content out there. I didn't really know what I was doing. Some of the stuff would perform well. Other times I would get packed up just mercilessly. You know, mm. and we didn't have quote tweets back then where you could actually click it on, on Twitter and see what was going on. So you kind of had to monitor it, you know, monitor it in, in, on your feed. But I go back and look at that stuff now, and just crack up because a lot of the same people used to pack me up and all oh, it's the worst shit ever and kill yourself. I hope you get cancer or whatever are the same people now like, oh, man, we love your shit. And like, you know, kind of following that same trend. So that's the advice I get to everybody who tries to get into the space is like, look, it's going to be a little tough and rocky at first. As your following starts to expand, initially it's friends and family, people who like you, you know, people who want to engage with you. As your shit starts to grow, then you start getting some of the trolls, the bots, some of those outside accounts that obviously don't rock with you, just want to see you, you know, suffer and, and, and want to clown and want to pack you up. Like, but just, you know, take it all in stride. And, you know, there's a lot of, like NBA dudes deal with a lot of mental health issues, which they've been very transparent and open about. But it's a lot of mental health side on, on the social side as well. I mean, I know you put up a lot of heat. And maybe sometimes it's not your best heat, but, you know, and people are going to come at you. And sometimes that shit will bother you and it'll wear on you like, damn, I want to keep doing this. And I know I can speak for myself. It's like, yeah, you just look past all that shit. And now I've gotten to a point where I've done it enough. And this is years down the road where I generally know, all right, you know, I'm going to keep this in the drafts because I know if I put that out, it's not going to mm. get the result I want. And really just kind of focus on putting the stuff that I think is, is, is putting my best foot forward. To pass it before I pass it back to Randy, um, you make a great point when you say, you know, you're actually 
these brands are looking for guys like you who can come in, speak the language and actually, you know, build a community around a particular show, around a particular topic, et cetera. That is an actual talent that, yeah. you know, people are getting paid for. So, you know, you, you make a very, very good point. And, you know, you know, Randy, that's that's a great point. You want to get paid for your talent, don't you, Randy? Of course, don't we all? <laughs> hey, that man. Exactly. Nice. But to your point, it's crazy to see now, especially like my background's TV production, sports entertainment. So I worked NFL Network, Showtime, Fox Sports, all that side in, in TV versus social and digital. And a lot of people come to social and digital with the TV mentality. And it's like, it's not TV. You can just buy commercials and, hey, what's the big game? Monday Night Football game. We're going to run our commercial here and get the most eyeballs on it. It's like the Wild Wild West. There's so much different shit going on. So many different things you got to be cognizant of. So if you can really speak to the culture, the community, and really plug in and take content and, and make it do numbers and make it get high engagement levels, it's, it's an art form. You see a lot of people doing branded posts, sponsor posts, and the shit don't really perform well for a multitude of reasons. Captions off, messaging's off, content's off, or whatever. So I, th- I definitely think it's an art form and a skill nowadays. And brands are starting to take notice of it because these mm. brands have social teams and and crews and all these type of things that that they have that they're on staff and on salary to help pump and promote this stuff. Right. But ultimately, they come to, to us because they know we can really touch the culture. We really know what people want, what, what's going to resonate with them, and really how to mm-hmm. run those numbers up. I think for me, I think we all can agree that even Denny, you, you've gone viral a couple of times, Josiah shitload of times, me halfway a load of times, but it's like, you know, reading, you know, articles about you, it's like you mentioned going viral could be a drug. Going viral could be that high. Like, hey, man, like if I can go viral one time, I'm like, can I can I do it again? What what else can I go in my head in, in my creative basket to do it again? So when when it happened to you with the, with the get out tweet, is it more like wow that was cool man that's great you know I'm I'm done or it's like damn, what else can I do? What's my next hit? Is is that is that is that what went through your mind? Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely like a dope fiend. You start chasing that fix because let's be honest, social media is a lot about validation. And there's a gratification that comes from that. Like, oh, something I was thinking or this thing that I put together, this thing that I created is out here hitting, is doing numbers and, and look mm-hmm. at all the people who love it and look at all, you know, celebrities and all these other people. And for me, it's like, damn, if, if I'm getting a DM from Jordan Pill off this one, I'm going to keep doing this shit because who else can I get some DMs from? Who else can I get some follows from? Who else can I get to really start supporting it? And, and it's good and bad, right? It's good because it, it'll kind of make you want to grind, want to make you keep still go out there doing it. But then it gets bad, too, when it's like you start chasing that fix, right? And you see it with dope fiends, right? You know, the first couple of times you hit it, you're good to go, still working your job, whatever. And then you start chasing that shit. Next thing you know, you like Pookie in New Jack City. You know, trying to rob people, whatever, trying to still go get it. So it's, it's a part of the learning process. And mm. the, the one thing I love about social media is like you can pretty find out pretty instantaneously if people are fucking with it or if they hate it, right? And if they don't like it, they're going to let you know about it. If they like it, they're going to let you know about it. So I always try to really high strategize now. And it's funny, man, now like social media, it's only been around really for like 15, 20 years. When you think about the instant mm-hmm. messenger days and kind of the lower level websites and stuff back when it first started to now TikToks, Instagrams, Twitters, all that type of stuff. So there's not really any playbook for it or any methodology to it, right? You got to just learn from going out there and doing it. There's not 
You know, it's not like other crafts where you've got hundreds of years of experience and this is the appropriate way to do it. Social is very, you know, especially social media. It's exactly that. It's social, right? So Mm -hmm. whatever's going on in the world. So we might look at our phones right now, see some shit just happened with the Knicks or the Lakers or big trade or whatever. And, you know, it's unpredictable. Sometimes you can you can predict kind of forecast what's going to go on. Like I know the Lakers and Warriors are going to play each other to start the season. So there's going to be some jokes flying, right? There's going to be jokes flying if the Warriors win. Going to be jokes flying if the Lakers win. Steph has a good game. Steph has a bad game. Brian has a good game. Westbrook, AD, whatever. But you don't know until you're actually in that moment and those things start taking shape. So for me, I just try to be as ready as possible. And really, my social page is kind of just a reflection of what I'm doing in my life. Like, if I turn the TV on, I might be watching Serena Williams at the U.S. Open. I'm going to talk about that. I might be watching Aaron Judd try to pass Roger Maris randomly. And I'm not the biggest baseball fan, but if I'm watching that game, Mm. Whatever's going on in those moments that people are talking about, that's the shit I'm going to discuss. I don't really, when I was younger, would try to chase stuff and be stuff I wasn't even really watching, but I, everybody's talking about it, so let me try and get a joke in here or there. But now I just want it to really be a reflection. So, you know, more times than not, when you look at my account, I'm literally on the couch watching whatever that thing is, Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, you know, NBA games, preseason. We mm. saw Scoot, Scoot versus uh, Vic. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name last night, but just <laughs> when, women, whatever is that, you know what I mean? But it was like, Whatever's going on and people are talking about and stuff that I'm interested in, which is obviously basketball, pop culture, politics, things like that. That's the stuff I'm going to talk about. I don't really try to get into social media communities that I'm not a yeah. part of. So I got to before that, uh, Denny Rock. So when you, you mentioned that, you know, the chase earlier. Listen, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I, I feel like I feel like I'm AI, a high volume shooter. Like, <laughs> I'm taking 30 shots. I might make eight. <laughs> but I'm still jacking them up. Where I, if if I get the one viral going out, and it's like, damn, all right, can I do one tomorrow? Then the, the next eight tweets are crickets. Then the next viral goes. It's like, yo, I'm 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 AI out here. It just you just never know. Like you said, you never know who's who's fucking with you or who wants to fuck with you. No, no, you never you never know who wants who who's who's going to pay attention, who's not going to yeah. pay attention. At the same time, too, I think. Um, what I what I'm interested in is you the confidence in you throwing out the joke. So for example, the uh, the get out the get out the reference, mm-hmm. right? People have to know. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? It's not like yeah, you can just throw sure. out a joke and people are just like not gonna people have to gravitate towards the joke. So every time I see a meme and I'm correlating exactly where he's going, I'm just like, you know, the past couple of memes you've put out, and I'm just like, that's witty. So is that natural wit? Is that a wit that's you know, you've always been witty, you know, since childhood? Where's that wit come from? Really, I think just from sports, man. Like, you know, I came up playing basketball. My dad played in the league. My older brother, uh, you know, played overseas and won a national championship at UCLA. And myself, just growing up being in basketball circles, being in locker rooms, like, as you guys know, like, locker room is you really going to make or break yourself, right? Everybody's clowning. It could be an outfit, a haircut. What Your breath might not be up to par, whatever it is. You got to be able to hold your own in those mm. situations and get the jokes off. So I've always been, I want to say class clown, but – lighter side, you know, always took the schoolwork and all that stuff serious, but could crack jokes and just have a good time, keep the mood light. So, yeah, I think a lot of that is reflective. And it's also crazy, man. I spent so much of my younger life just just consuming content, watching TV shows, watching movies, listening to music, doing all these things that I didn't think, you know, it had value in the moment, right? It was entertainment. But now looking back, being able to recall a clip from 15, 20 years ago and really Pop just culture. the nostalgia of it, you know, yeah. but just – like when we were coming up, like, you know, we had like shows like The Simpsons or The Wire or whatever. Martin. And it wasn't really, you know, Martin, you know, Living Color, like all those type of things. We didn't have a real vehicle or outlet other than to like go to school the next day 
and see what resonated with everybody, right? Yep. Like, what was it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, Dragonfly Jones or fucking Jerome in the house or whatever, Shanae And those would be the things like, oh, man, you all, you see that? Yeah. And, you know, we'd be, we'd be talking, we'd be quoting, and we'd be doing all those stuff. So that's kind of what the social thing is reflective now. It's really like the nostalgia. I, I'm 40 years old, and I'm proud to be washed. I'm happy to be in the age I'm at. I mean, it's like, <laughs> like, you know, but the young kids, like, oh, you washed, you old, you this, you that. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but I don't got no bills. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I don't got no student loan debt. Like, I, there's a lot of other oh, shit that, that I'm, I'm not here trying to clown y'all about. And, like, you know, if you do have those things, like, I hope you figure them out more power to you. But at the end of the day, I try to tweet for people who are in my age range. So it's a lot of times, especially with the younger kids, they'll see shit I put up and they don't remember it because they're too young. Like, they didn't, they never, they don't know what that thing is. They don't know how that made us feel when we saw it. So they, mm-hmm. they don't really relate to it. I think they get kind of mad and frustrated. Yes. Like, oh, this shit is corny. This shit is whack. Yeah. I don't even yeah. know what this shit is. And, yeah. like, for me, I, I always say, like, I'll, I'll never post a SpongeBob meme. That's not my era. I didn't watch no SpongeBob. I was too old for that. But I'm not going to sit there and tell them, like, oh, why the fuck you post a SpongeBob meme? I don't get this. <laughs> so exactly. It's not funny to me. You know what I mean? So I kind of just let to each their own and, like, let everybody have their lane and cook in it. But for me, if you, you age 30 to 50, you're going to really resonate with a lot of the tweets and the content that I put up. Because it's stuff that we all grew up watching. A lot of us had older brothers, sisters, cousins, whoever. So we got a lot of their content. We also had our shit. And we got a lot of younger brothers, sisters as well. So we got a lot of their stuff too. So I've got like a, a nice, you know, Mixed. window yeah, yeah, of things that I've seen in my life. But it's like there comes a point beyond that. There's a point where, you know, I stopped watching Nickelodeon. or I stopped watching, what you know, whatever. Like I was too old. I aged out of it. And then mm-hmm. the new stuff came in. And it's like, that's y'all generation. Fucking have at it. Because I know y'all going to resonate with that. And that's going to make y'all laugh. But for me, it's like, you know, I don't think the stuff's not funny. I always try to just be uh, respectful and appreciative and really see why. Like, okay, why does everybody love this SpongeBob meme or that SpongeBob meme or the old brother or whatever? And like, because that was the nostalgia of your guys' era. Like, I stay in my era, y'all stay in yours, and let's all just go out there and cook. Kumbaya, Randy, kumbaya. <laughs> so as, as I'm looking, you're, you're near 260,000 followers on, on Twitter. Right. Yeah. So I asked that. I mentioned that because do you ever feel like it becomes overwhelming with what you do? Because people look, they, they depending on you for a, a sporting event, political event to tweet something funny out. And does it ever feel like you can't even go to a barbecue vacation and try to miss out on something because you got to be at your phone every, every fucking second. Good question. I'm going to be real now. It used to really buy, I'm at peace with it now. Like if I miss something, I miss it. And that just is what it is. I accept that. Naturally, you never want to miss those those big ones, right? Like KD demanding a trade or KD's ankle or whatever, whatever it mm-hmm. is. Like, you know, I think yesterday was it was bruh, you know, you fat hoe or whatever his name was. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be real. I was I was watching something else, so I missed that. I forget what I think I was watching uh I was watching preseason basketball, but the Knicks game, whoever played after the Knicks, like it, it completely uh, oh the Bulls Pelicans. I'm yeah. watching Bulls Pelicans game. And kind of checking in a little bit on, on, the, on the G League Ignite and the Scoot stuff and Vic just kind of monitoring that on social. But I'm, I'm at peace with that stuff now, man. And, and in terms of the, the first part of your question, it's been crazy to me. But I remember starting this account when it was at zero followers. So I kind of always just operate from that wavelength. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. like I said, you got more people following you. It's a lot more haters, a lot more people waiting for you to fuck up, slip up, post some shit that they can try to pack you up for. So nice. I got to be mindful of how I move. Also, like when I was younger, I'd be a lot pettier, right? So I'll talk shit about players and get kind of disrespectful, which for me now at this age, like, man, I, I don't give a fuck if you're the, the 15th man on the bench, your, your career is better than mine, right? So I got to have a ton. Like, I'll never say a dude sucks. Like, that, it's always weird to me when somebody, oh, he's trash, he's garbage, he's whatever. Like, this, this person's getting paid money 
to play <laughs> basketball. So unless we're doing that, unless we're getting paid at least a dollar more than what they're getting, it's not, you know, we can't really be in a position to kind of bash mm. somebody who's doing better than we are, which yeah. is another thing you see on social. Like, oh, man, this dude is trash. This dude sucks. It's like he may not be as good as, as you hoped or you liked, but he's literally one of the top 400 basketball players in the world. So I won't go to that level. And now I get these dudes start following me. Like, I'm a big LeBron fan. Spent mm. a ton of time going to MJ fans, Kobe fans in my younger years, Steph mm. fans as well. But that shit kind of changes when guys like Steph and KD follow you now. And like, oh, I got to be, you know, I'm not trying to be the next person on KD Summer Jam screen. So I'm going to be, because <laughs> I know he's looking. I know he's always lurking. And, and, and it, it don't have to be anything mean. You could just make any type of commentary, it, it, depending on the mood he's in. He might yeah. clap back at you or whatever. So I just try to be as respectful to those guys as possible. Now, if, if Steph gets dunked on or some, some shit happens or whatever, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about it. We're definitely going to get the jokes out. But I like to say that I'm a I'm an equal opportunity clowner, right? LeBron's my favorite player. I'm rolling with the Lakers as a result of that. If the Lakers have a trash ass year, we're we're gonna get the jokes flying. And I think, especially yeah. the NBA Twitter community, some fan bases get a little too sensitive and feel like they're getting picked on. It's like, no, man, it's the ebbs and flows of the game. Warriors a couple of years ago, they were hot dookie. It just is what it is. They didn't make the playoffs for two years. We're gonna let the jokes fly. Now you win a championship again, 2022. Yeah, now it's your turn to return the favor, bring mm -hmm. back all that pain and misery and anguish that we caused you, and let your jokes fly. But I don't ever really take this shit personal. For me, I don't take none of it personal till it, it gets personal, right? Like if, if you want to clown a take or an opinion or a tweet I put up, more power to you. But now you start talking about personal shit. And yeah. it's like, you know, we all come from an era like, you know, back in our time when you did that shit, it was like, all right, well, we can fight if you want to. It's not a you know, it's not, I'm not really big on the talk and all that. Stuff. There you go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, like if you really feel some type of way about it, like, we can definitely handle and address that shit. Where I feel like kids nowadays, they've grown up on social and they're so used to it that they just say the most wild, reckless, outlandish Fact. shit, Fact. thinking True. that they'll never have to deal with it. And it's like, motherfucker, at some point, you know, you don't have to see me. So, and I'm going to remember that shit you said about me. I don't care how much nice shit you say after or whatever, or you apologize, like, you're trying to front show off for social. It's going to be a problem at some point. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I love New York. I love the Knicks. I'm good friends with a lot of people on Knicks Twitter. And I got people on Knicks Twitter who try to come at me, too. It, it is what it is. But yeah. it's like, ultimately, we might see each other at Summer League. Like, at some point, we're going to cross paths. And really, you need to determine yeah. Yeah, what, what, what you want to do when that situation happens. Because I'm going to remember all the shit. Like, I, I'm, you know, that's one thing yeah. I'm going to stand on. Like, I'm, I'm a petty-ass motherfucker. So I'm going to remember <laughs> all the shit. Every negative thing I've ever seen, even if people are right. cool about it later down the road, I'm still like, yeah, three years ago, though, you said some, some fuck shit about me. So I've never mm. forgotten that. Yeah, Jay, listen, before then he goes, you mentioned KD. KD is, and I, I'll try to make it funnier. <laughs> KD will probably be the only guy I won't talk shit about because I know he's a king of the clapback and somehow, some way he's going to find out. So I don't care if he gets crossed over and falls and busts his ass. I'll be like, you know what? There was water on the floor. I'll make some shit up because KD. I, I ain't afraid of no ghosts, Randy. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> and, 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 I ain't afraid of no ghosts because you're you're the Brooklyn Net fan, but KD is the one guy. But you know what? He's the one guy I'll I'll stay away from. Yeah, that's just me. Anybody can get it, Randy. Anybody can get it if there's if there's a, a you know a valid point. But you listen, you, you Double J. You mentioned something that you, you mentioned you're a Lakers fan, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to ask you the million trillion quadruple question oh boy Give it to me. Do, do you think russell westbrook will still be a laker by next year's trading deadline so let me preface this with i'm a ucla bruin i got a ton of, of love and respect for russ and his family 
was disappointed. This is the thing, man. When you look at Laker Nation, and I've been here since LeBron's been here, it's a they're you know I mean they're a very passionate fan base. Probably one of the, the biggest fan bases in all the NBA Twitter community, if not the largest. Uh, have a championship pedigree, and they are notorious for bullying players to greatness. Like seen it with Kuz, seen it with KCP, seen mm-hmm. it with Danny Green, seen it with LeBron at times. AD, like anybody can get it. Uh, they do not discriminate. So to see how they came at Westbrook, it felt like it got a little too personal last year and a little too, little too much. And you know, I love Bullish. Russ, but even like the West Brick name, like LeBron's been called worse shit by Lakers fan. You know what I mean? Like, like it just is what it is. Like it, it's a part of the game, but I can understand Russ is an LA guy. He grew up out here. He grew up idolizing Kobe. So for him to finally have that homecoming and not to work out the way. And as much as uh, criticism and, and knock that Russ got last year, he played mm-hmm. solid. Now, you know, I think it was a little too many shacked in the full moments. And especially like we see this shit on Twitter all the time, right? I saw it all summer. Somebody locked up James Harden on literally one play, one play in a pickup game. Oh, right. look at Harden getting clamped. And like, you know, I'm Rico Hines, who runs the run, was one of my former teammates at UCLA. Earl Watson, one of my former teammates at UCLA, has mm. to come to social like, yo, this is one fucking play. Like, <laughs> Harden was killing out here. Today. But that one play, you know, it's that one moment. So Russ hits the side of the backboard or, or, or bad shot or an air ball. That's the clip that's going to keep getting replayed and blown up. But saying all that to say, like, I think at this point, Lakers need to, to shit or get off the pot. Like, you, you can't have these trade rumors going on. On and on and on. We heard the shit all last year, up into the trade deadline. Then once, you know, free agency period kicked off again. And, you know, it's detrimental to the squad. I know a lot of that doesn't have to do to them. You know, the media and journalists obviously all have their own agendas and narratives that they're trying to push, depending on what agencies are at and what players they're trying to push and all that other shit. But at some point, like we've been hearing this Russ of the Pacers trade, heard Russ for Kyrie, heard all these different things. Like, he has to show up to work every day. And to his credit, I think he said it at uh, beginning of training camp, some along the lines of, like, look, I'm here to work. This is a job for me. And, you know, to his credit, even looking at him at the first preseason game uh, Tuesday against the Kings, came out, played solid, was, was rocking the baby, smiling, seemed to be mm-hmm. in high spirits. But just to know every single day it feels like a new article drops about, oh, they, they didn't want to give up the two first-round picks or whatever. So I hope whatever the situation is, if Russ stays or not, you know, he can lock in. He's now got a year experience playing with AD and LeBron. They had a limited amount of time together, but I got a whole summer now to, to get right. Lakers have kind of bolstered this squad. So, you know, ultimately, yeah, is it the most ideal squad? Like, do I think they're championship contenders at this point? I'm not going to go that far. Like, I'm not I'm not just going to be ludicrous with it. But I think this is a playoff caliber team. I think if they can gel and connect well, they got some good pieces. Darvin Ham coming in. From Milwaukee, he's bringing a whole new mindset, attitude. Darvin's great because he's a dude like you just look at, and this is a dude I'm not gonna fuck with. Like, like you know, whatever it is, you know, Frank Vogel might say some shit, and I can I can get you know snarky back or chirp back, but if <laughs> Darvin says some shit, I'm gonna have to, you know, he looked like Debo. I'm gonna have to respect him, take the man at his word. But to answer your question, I don't, I don't know, man. I think if this is the squad the Lakers got to roll out with, I wouldn't want to see them make a trade. And just to be real, and I love Russ. But I wasn't necessarily a fan of the rush trade to the Lakers. Now, obviously, on social, Lakers Nation, anytime something happens, we're going to blow it up and act like it's, it's the greatest thing to ever happen. But mm-hmm. I was I was rolling with Kuz, KCP, obviously losing Caruso to the Bulls. I thought, you know, I think Bulls yeah. fans thought we were joking when we talked about how just you know, which, how much love we have for Caruso and the whole GOAT thing and all that shit. Yeah, some of it was jokes, but the reality was he came in, his basketball IQ was high, brought toughness to the squad. So – this is the team they rolled out last year. AD only played 40 games, so you got to preface every conversation with that because he's supposed to be that guy now that's leading the charge. Yeah, they didn't make the playoffs. 
I can't think of many teams who did make the playoffs with their what should be their star player. Obviously, LeBron, year 19, you're playing with house money now. Like LeBron shouldn't be asked to carry a squad during the regular season. He did last year. Obviously, it didn't work out that way. But yeah, I think if, if if Russ stays on the team, I'm I'm optimistic. I think they can kind of figure it out this year. But if they get a deal done and, and, and it's in the best interest of everybody on the squad, then more power to it. But I'm I'm a big Russ guy. I've been rocking with Russ for a mm-hmm. long, long time. I think people, if you really know Russ's story, where he came from, how hard he worked to get to where he's at, you know, have some level of respect. Now, if he's not playing up to whatever level you think he needs, you're gonna get the jokes off. I'm not gonna be the one to stop you. But for me, it shit just got real disrespectful last year. So I'm hoping that at least and, and it's if you gotta think as a Lakers fan, right? What image do you want to project to other guys who may want to come to the Lakers down the road, right? Great like, point. Like, like we're just going to exactly. clown and pack your ass up every time you have a bad game, mm-hmm. or we're going to stand by you and support you and help help get through those moments. But like I said, Lakers fans, they're notorious for bullying the greatness. I've seen it. Ha- I've seen KCP get his ass bullied to nearly playing at a finals MVP level in the bubble. So, you know, it, it, it goes on Sometimes both it sides. Takes that. Sometimes it takes that. We shall see. I mean, I loved Russell and, you know, I loved Washington Russell. You know, I yeah. loved Washington Russell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think he needs a home where he can, you know, play with guys who will run with him. And he has, you know, he has, he's able to be Russ. So we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. It, Randy. It didn't make sense. I mean, yeah. Russ is ball dominant, right? Russ is ball dominant. You already know LeBron is ball dominant. It never right. really made sense. Like, how the fuck? There's only one ball. How are these dudes going when they both need to be running the offense? That's Russ's style. Hopefully this season, depending on whatever gets done or doesn't get done, Russ can kind of embrace that. I know he'll get a lot more run kind of with that second unit where he'll be able to do that when Le- LeBron's off the floor. But they're going to have to figure it out or not make the playoffs you know, again. Here's a good question too, Randy. I'm sorry. Here, no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Another question I have is, you because we mentioned Russell, we mentioned, you know, ball dominant, et cetera, et cetera. Every time I watch these, uh, obviously we got the Dream Team Redeemed uh, doc coming soon, I think on Netflix with Kobe yeah. and them. But – these guys, Russell, I think Russell was on that team, if I'm not mistaken, on one of those teams, USA teams. Or 2012. Yeah, 2012, I believe. But th- he gets around these players, and it's he's not ball dominant. He's moving the ball. He's getting into spaces. He's doing these doing these things when he's playing with other you know, players on the USA team. I don't know what the difference is, but when you come to the NBA, all of a sudden now it's, I have to be ball dominant. Well, I think, you know, Russ losing KD and OKC from that point on, the Thunder became his squad. We saw all the triple-doubles. And triple-doubles, amazing accomplishment. Obviously, I think Oscar Robertson was the only previous person to average a triple-double. Russ has done it four times. But just that workload that he was having to take, you know what I mean? When you used to watch him in those games, how much shit he had to do. And it's hard when you go from that, from every team you've been on, especially in the past couple of years, where, you know, going from Houston to Washington – to the Lakers now you're playing with other stars and you got to basically, you know, give up what's been the main part of your game. But at the end of the day, players adjust. And I think for him, it should be a beneficial situation. He should be able to create more opportunities, uh, you know, really focus and lock in on the defensive side, focus on the rebounding and assist side. You playing with LeBron AD. So you got guys out there who can really, you know, carry carry that workload with you. Didn't work out like that last year, but LeBron AD only played LeBron AD and Russ. I want to say played like 21 games together. Once said they were like 11 and 10 in those games, so don't get me wrong. Don't me, let me act like they were just some superstar squad out there. But that's ultimately not really enough, especially how kind of just finicky it was and the different lineups the Lakers were rolling out all season. That's not enough for these guys to get become a cohesive unit and gel and do all those type of things. He's so like gone. I said, again, you hope that, you know, now they've got a summer together, you know, despite all the trade rumors, the, the bullshit and the talk, 
Like these guys are professionals. That's just a part of the game. You hope they can get through and they kind of figure it out. Mm. Have you have you gotten used to Crypto.com Arena yet? Or are you still down with Staples Center? <laughs> you know, and I, I was a big crypto guy when it first happened, but it always felt like one of those things where like it was just some bullshit because everybody who got in early was just trying to sell you this dream of how this was the revolutionary shit. And I'm the type like, yep. it's like, you know, when you hear about stocks or you get financial advice, I like, always be mindful of the people you're getting financial advice from. Like if you're getting financial advice from people who aren't necessarily rich, you know what I mean? Like, probably not the person to listen to. Exactly. And there was a lot of like wealthy people that were, that were promoting advocating for it, but they already had a huge stake and a huge vested interest in it. So they were really just trying to build the mystique of it. So it'll always be staple center. It's, it's unfortunate. And I'm sure, you know, y'all deal with that type of stuff where you got venues that'll change names and hands or whatever, but it's like, it almost feels like, and I don't want to say, but like the crypto curse, like soon as it became crypto.com shit just kind of took a turn for the worse. Hoping we could figure it out, get it together. We'll see how long they actually keep the naming rights. Yeah. And to be real, like Staples, Staples are kind of, you know, you know, Staples really, the only Staples really in LA anymore is, was the Staples Center. So it's not like, you know, that, that business kind of sustained and was like this big deal out here nowadays. But when you go there, that's what it still feels like, even though they got the new signage, all that other shit. You know, we're going to, it's like, I, I'm in LA, we got, you know, Fox Hills Mall. It'll always be the Fox Hills Mall to us. It's like the Westfield shopping center town bullshit, whatever. Now it's the Fox <laughs> Hills Mall. Beverly Center will always be the Beverly Center. Like, you know, Staples will always be Staples. Exactly. Because for me, I Danny would know I, I'm I'm a big retro throwback kind of kind of fan. So when I see the Lakers or hear the Lakers, I've never been inside Staples. Oh wow. I, I've never been inside the forum. So I've been to the forum on, on a visit. I've been to Staples, never been inside. I'm pretty sure you've been inside both venues. Kind of tell me and Denny and our audience from a retro throwback perspective, like what's the what kind of vibe aura did you get going to the forum and the kind of vibe you get from Staples or Crypto.com? So forum for context, forum, you know, heart of Inglewood. You know, Inglewood is the city of champions different location, you know, close proximity. It's funny, Staples Center is right near, I think, the Inglewood Cemetery, which is this humongous, you know, humongous, humongous cemetery right across the street. But the Forum always had just this mystique around it, man. Forum Club, you know, what Dr. Buss was able to do there, just getting celebrities in. And I remember, like, going to, like, playoff games way back in the day, like, sign I specifically remember, like, Sonics, Lakers, like, playoff game. My dad used to work for the Sonics. So, you know, they, they play the Lakers in the playoffs. We'd get we'd get tickets to pull up there. But it, it was it was it was smaller van. I want to say like 14, 15,000 seat. So it was super intimate. I mean, you were just on top of everybody was on top of each other. But a cool spot and just had this, you know, like cool mystique about it. Staples, when it first came in, it was super, super, super state of the art revolutionary. Now it's a little tough because I think I think it came out in like 2020 or, or excuse me, 2000 ish or like late, late yeah. 90s, early 2000s. So now after like 20 plus years you can just start to see, you know, and they've done some upgrades and some stuff recently, but when it first came out and it was in a part of downtown that honestly nobody would ever go to, it was literally like the first thing that kind of rose out. Now you go downtown, they got Metro rail and restaurants and businesses and people like back in the day coming up, like you went downtown to get robbed. That was pretty much it. Or to go hit, <laughs> go hit the alley to get some fake Gucci and, and some fake Rolexes. <laughs> but you, you know, you weren't, you weren't spending a ton of like you, you were going to that game and you were leaving and you were a little nervous mm -hmm leaving that arena always make it be lining straight to the whip like not no sights no you know what i mean now they've built up la live and got a bunch of cool shit out there
but mm. the form will always be the form, right? Showtime, Magic, Kareem, that, that whole Laker era. A lot of people are getting kind of a taste of it in winning time just to see how cracking it was. And I was too young to be real to, to really enjoy that side of it, you know right. what I mean? But mm-hmm. from a distance, like being at those games and just seeing all the celebrities and Staples, I mean, Staples will always be Staples to me. I, it's a great venue. I know, you know, New Yorkers, y'all love Madison Square Garden. I've never been to Barclays, but that, that shit looks phenomenal as well. In my experience, like I, I got to play in Madison Square Garden when I was at UCLA. And I was, all, I mean, it's, it's a nice venue, but I think it's kind of New York in general, man. Everything is on top of each other, right? There's no, there's no, this shit is just on, you know, I mean, it's just stacked up. It's a, it's a small mm-hmm. island. Like everything is just built up high as shit. Yeah, or exactly. LA, like y'all take transit. Like, you know, I, every time I push out to New York, I still can't wrap my head around like subways. And it's like, I'm so used to, <laughs> like, it's funny shit though. But like, y'all, y'all might have something that's like six, seven, eight blocks away, right? Like under no circumstances living in LA where we walk to that shit. We're driving. I don't care. Seven oh, blocks away. Yeah. I was getting, I'm, we're pushing the whip to, to that spot. Like we don't, we don't look at transit like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So to come out there, I just, you know, but I appreciate that venue for what it is. Appreciate Staples obviously as well, but you gotta, you know, you definitely, when you get out here, you gotta step inside. Like the outside is great. The exterior is yeah. cool, but being at a Laker game, it's crazy. Like the, the difference between Clippers games and Lakers games, right? Same team. Let's say, Warriors coming to town, right? Clippers tickets might be like 50 bucks for like the worst nosebleed. That same game for the Lakers is going to be $500. It's like just the, the disparity. <laughs> but when you're at a Lakers game, Christ. you really feel like you're at a Lakers game. The lighting, the mood, the ambiance. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just how it goes, just the, the price. Mm. So it's, it's kind of like the running joke out here. Like, you know, if you want to come see like Knicks come to town, you better off going to the Clippers-Knicks game because you're going to actually get a reasonable price. You fucking going to get a suite <laughs> for like 50 bucks. Like I've seen LeBron – when he was with the Cavs, come and play the Clippers, got a sweet ticket, like driving up on StubHub for like 30 bucks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, versus that same ticket for a Laker game, like 500, easy. Wow. Wow. Denny, that's crazy. Listen, uh, you dropped some jewels today. Uh, once again, I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule, whether it's family, whether it's work, et cetera, to you know, speak to us today. You dropped some gems that we and everybody else is watching will definitely uh, run with when it comes to social media and how you, how you attack it. When it comes to this NBA season, what has you most intrigued before we let you go? Uh, for me, is I don't know how you can look at this Warrior squad and James Wiseman Moves they made this offseason, yeah, they lost a couple guys. But with this core of Steph, Clay, Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, and tell me that the Boston Celtics, and yeah, the Celtics added Brogdon. This is even pre-Yudoka getting suspended. After beating the Celtics in the championship, how anybody could say that the Celtics, how sports books, whatever, could say that the Celtics are the contenders or, you know, are to win the championship and the, and the Warriors aren't front runners in that, that spot. I'm super excited, man. Honestly, just across the league, guys healthy. You know, sad to see Chet get get hurt and not to be able to experience his rookie year. But happy to see guys like Ben Simmons back. Happy to see Anthony Davis back. Happy to see Jamal Murray back. Uh, happy to see Middleton back. You know, but just Kawhi and Paul George. It's going to be a crazy-ass season, man. This might be – I tweeted the shit the other day. This might be the most ridiculous, you know, NBA Twitter season ever. But I think that's going to be a reflection of just how crazy this season is going to be. You got the Nuggets now who got the reigning MVP, right? Uh, we were like six, seven seed last year, but getting some of their 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 dogs back, like every team, Clippers again, getting Kawhi back after his long layoff, Clay coming back last year, now having a summer to to get his shit right. It's gonna be like there's not, you know, if you look at the schedule, and obviously everybody's trying to tank, 
so you know, who, who not gonna make the playoffs for that number one pick, but amongst the top like 10 to 12 teams, man, it's gonna be a dog fight every single night. You're getting some, even squads like the Pistons, who you know may not may not make the playoffs, but I'm just super excited to see that team in action, right? There, you know, everybody talks about their league pass teams. It's like league pass is gonna be turned up. Like literally found myself watching a Pelicans Bulls game just to be able to see Zion, Demar, all these type of dudes. Games that traditionally I wouldn't give a shit about that I'm, you know, I'm locked in watching the Knicks take on the Pistons and seeing that squad. And just, you know, for me, like when the when the Knicks and the Lakers are both good, I think the league is in a much better place. Fan engagement's at, at a much higher level. And we're not just, you know, miserable, burnt out, you know, by by halfway through the season trying to tell get them, Jay, tell them, tell them when the Knicks are you know, good, tell them. You know that pain though, because you know, and Lakers fans are clown, Knicks fans, Knicks fans, <laughs> Knicks fans are clown. But you know that fucking pain when it's like thirty games left, and you know it does not matter. Like season's already done, Cancun is already oh. on the horizon. So just for me, you know, I always, I always love the start of the season anyway. Just you know, pre and people are like, why are you watching preseason games? Like, why not? Like, shit, I get to see these dudes actually playing again. This is like two notches above summer league in my mind, and seeing these young guys' names that are going to start to be you know big in the league, but. Just excited for good basketball. I hope the Lakers can make the playoffs ultimately and hope they don't get smacked by the Warriors. Like, if, if those things don't happen. <laughs> real real quick, good. real quick, you mentioned preseason. Do you think it was a big deal that the Phoenix Suns got cracked by 33 the other day? Now, let me preface this now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let me preface this now. Now, there's, there's a deal for me. There's a deal and there's a big deal. Do I think it was a big deal? No. Was it a deal? Yes. What say you? So it's one thing, right, if the Adelaide 36ers, right, were, were like a top-level team in the NBL. Like they were like 10 and 18 last year or some shit like that. So mm -hmm. it's basically like you're getting a lottery team from the Australian New Zealand League, the NBL, and they're coming in. And it's like I don't – like the Suns have not gotten over that hangover. Obviously the Sarver situation – but you look past all that shit. Like, you know, most of the time you're not really tripping on an owner anyway, right? If it's a coach, Celtics, Celtics losing to Doka is a much bigger deal than Suns losing to Sarver, obviously. But after getting smacked in game seven by Luca, you know, embarrassed, humiliated on their home floor, to now the same shit happening the very next time you play a quote unquote competitive basketball game, uh, that shit is wild. And that's why I said, like, Twitter is going to be wild this year. You know, it's it's stuff that you would never imagine. I want to say it's like the fourth or fifth time that a team has lost. Ever. Like that, but it's it's like the it's like you know I can't remember the last time. Twenty sixteen, shit, mm. shit, shit like that happened, and it, it's wild to see. So I think it's definitely something to be concerned about. Obviously, they'll figure it out. But I think if you look at that Suns team coming into this year, DeAndre Aiden, I feel like feels some type of way that he didn't get to go to the Pacers and that the Suns matched that offer. Mm -hmm. To hear shit like he ain't talked to Monty Williams since since Game Seven. Crazy. That's, that's concerning for me if I'm a Suns fan. Like, not even like a what's up, like a hey, what's up. Text. Monty like, said he ain't sure. talk to him. Monty said like, he ain't talk to him. Mom's like, hey, make sure you're working hard. Like, can't wait to can't wait to get back into just nothing. Like, hey, after after they re-signed and matched the offer, like, man, so excited to have you back. And you can see, like, with Westbrook, with Aiden, with some of these dudes, how salty they are, right? Like, you can like they're not holding back anything. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm not gonna say it's a huge deal right now, but we'll <laughs> we'll know about ten games into the season how it's looking. I got two more before I let you go. So if if Jeannie Buss or Rob Palenka called you and said, Josiah, do me a favor. I need you to get LeBron and Kareem in the same room and kind of hash out whatever the fuck is going on between those two guys. Would you do it? And how would you 
get them to, to, to get on the same page. What the fuck is going on with LeBron and Kareem? It's why, I mean, look, again, I'm a UCLA guy. <laughs> I love Kareem. I love LeBron. To hear LeBron's comments after the Kings game with no relationship, no comment, no relationship. Right. Like, damn, it's, it's some it's some salty shit. But you never want to see that with legends, especially people like Kareem who have so much to offer. True. I think especially thinking about Bill Russell, everything he meant to the game. You don't ever want to be in a position, right? You know, Kareem's obviously getting up there in years, man, where, you know, you have regrets, obviously losing Kobe as well. Like, you have regrets or things like that. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably have to, to lie to one of them to get them both in the same room at the same time. Like, oh, bro, we're about to get this trade deal. We're about to get this trade done. We just need you to come here and review the paper. And he opens the door. Kareem sitting in there, you know, ready ready to embrace him. But I think, you know, when you, when you look at Kareem, Kareem has a lot of strong opinion. It's funny, man. Kareem dropped that article about Kyrie. And this is completely off tangent, but everybody started talking about, but what about when you when you punch Kent Benson in the dome? And it's like totally different conversation, bro. So my, my dad played in the league, Marcus Johnson, and, and funnily enough, he was that was his first NBA game too. So Kent Benson was the first overall pick in 1977 by the Bucks. My dad was the third overall pick by the Bucks that year. So that was both of their first games. Kareem, a UCLA guy. My dad, a UCLA guy. I think my dad was guarding Jamal Wilkes, who's a UCLA guy as well. Mm-hmm. And my dad always tells us the story, like Kareem. Punched him, and Kareem's like standing over him, like get up, get up. And my dad walks over to him, like Cap, he's not, he not getting up. Like he not, getting up. But that's a much different. It's like well, Kareem did that. It's like watch the video, Ken Benson, and like imagine you, Kareem, right? You played in Milwaukee, won a championship out there. You back in your old stomping grounds. You got all your former homies, whoever at the game. And this dude going to elbow you, this rookie going to elbow you in the gut after you just won the MVP last year? Multiple that's, times. That's Multiple grounds to get bing- And he could have got two piece. Like, Kareem only gave him a one piece well within reason. But, you know, just to say, like, I think they get mad at Kareem's messaging a lot. But Kareem is, is a very smart, intelligent, educated dude. I think if you look at Kareem's career and everything he had to deal with, especially after converting to Islam, you know, house getting burnt down, all that other type of shit. I was like, going to say, it- you – you watch if you watch the 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 uh, sure. L A the, the L A Lakers documentary, I believe on Hulu. If you watch that, it'll yeah. give you a better understanding of what Kareem actually went through yeah. during his playing time. So it'll give you a better understanding for sure. Sorry, and, for and, and the only person you know, MJ, like MJ turned into MJ in the league, right? He obviously did in North Carolina, hitting hitting the shot in the national championship game. But Kareem was this larger than life figure since high school, right? Power Memorial, LeBron. They have a lot of the same, you know, they share a lot of the similarities. Yeah, their yeah. career trajectories. So it seems like if guys could relate to each other, it'd be these two dudes. Like hearing the stories of Kareem, like my dad played with John Wooden at UCLA. We interviewed John Wooden, just hearing the stories that Kareem had to deal with when he would show up places. And that's why he's so introverted and why he don't really fuck with people and he kind of keeps to himself. So imagine being 7'5 and everywhere you go. You're getting called a big black freak and look at this and look at that. I mean, it was just like, and it really kind of opened my eyes. Cause like, you know, people are, you know, you go to Lakers games back in the day when Kareem was like special assistant coach, he used to sit in like the, uh, like the 100 level, but like the upper level when you kind of walk, walk into the game, but everybody would try to talk to him and shit. And he would just like shoo him away or whatever. So from the outside looking in, you think, oh man, this dude's an asshole. Like, but then you get to know that this he's been dealing with this shit for like 50 60 plus years yes of just getting treated like a freak show but that's all just to say that you know lebron and kareem i hope they can squash their differences they're both on the lakers now both lakers legends like you know what i mean so hopefully they can figure that out 
But seeing seeing Bron be kind of I don't want to say petty with it, but that like yeah I don't like I don't fuck with this dude. <laughs> I don't have no relationship with this dude on any level. Yeah, uh, definitely concerning. And my last point because it's it's kind of like A and B. A I think this could be some pettiness, some saltiness that Kareem see LeBron gonna break his scoring record I, again. That might be so minute, but it's like it, it, that has to be in the background. Like I had the, I had this record for what thirty years. Yeah. And, Guy who's gonna break it is on the Lakers right now, and, it's, and they they don't get along. But but I know you've mentioned LeBron's your favorite player of all yep. time, correct? Yep. And he's you you say he's the goat of all time, right? Uh-oh. Yeah. For, my, but here's the thing: go. And go. as yeah. I've gotten older, I'm 40 years old now. I have a lot more unique perspective. Whatever. If Kobe's your goat, more power to you. If MJ's your goat, more power to you. If Steph's your goat. For me, yeah. my all, my all encompassing goat is Kareem. LeBron is my goat. You know, Kareem's like goat emeritus, and, and LeBron is my goat now. LeBron still has some career left to be played. But yeah. I think you talk about the most dominant player in NBA history, like, and just looking at Kareem, what he was able to do with that sky hook. And for anybody who's actually really hooped, like, go try and, and make a sky hook consistently. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, eight, he's hitting 20 foot sky hooks. You know what I'm saying? Like, the with the super, like, you know, super, yeah. super, super and, arch. So, you know, you could, you could say, oh, he's tall, he's this or whatever, but the level of skill you have to do to be able to master and perfect that shot, this is not a shot that we – like, who else makes sky hooks in the NBA? Like, who who, who in the NBA nowadays is known for their sky hook? Like, this is not a shot that you just yeah. easily perfect. So it takes a high level of skill regardless of size or whatever, and literally one of the most unstoppable shots in the history of the NBA. But I think – I think, I mean, if they could learn something even from, like, I look at Aaron Judge and what he's been doing with the Yankees and, and the Maris family – and how encouraging and supportive they were of that transition. Understanding, right, this record was great, but if somebody's going to break this record, it, it's, it's really great to see somebody on the same team doing it. So LeBron's going to pass Magic this year in assists. I think Magic will obviously be super supportive. Hopefully that moment when he passes Kareem, like it'll make me, you know, I remember several years ago, you know, I'm, we got Spectrum Sportsnet out here that runs all the Lakers game, but they would always show this clip of Kobe and Kareem uh, before a game, Kareem sitting like courtside and him and Kobe like dap up and they kind of get each other's faces. And like you can tell Kareem trying to like pump them up and Kobe's really taking that and embracing that to go out there. So I hope to see a similar moment with Kareem and LeBron this year. Right. I think it, it'll be great for the game if they can bury the hatchet and really, you know, it'll just be great for the city as well. And it's, and it's probably too late, but we, we, we got to get LeBron a better go-to move, man. All that staring down three-point line like this and then stepping back and doing this. That's not it. That's not it. Listen, listen, Randy, 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 the fact that he's still able to do that and no one is jumping it tells you all you need to know. Like, bro, he's staring at three-point line like this. <laughs> and then let it he's telling you it's coming. And you don't jump his right hand. It, it's lovely. It's like everybody, lovely. like everybody on Twitter says, this got to be the weakest go-to move. And <laughs> it is comical to see the shit in action and to see people still falling for it. Like, what is he even looking at? Like, what is he looking at? Like, you guys understand basketball. What is he looking at that's throwing you off from thinking he's not about to shoot this shit? It's not like he's looking at a teammate. It's not like he's looking somewhere on the court that that is a benefit. It's like he's literally looking off to the side. Like he's about like he's just gonna trick your ass. Like it, it's wild to me. Exactly. Um, Josiah, we can't thank you enough, man. King Josiah uh, fifty four on IG and Twitter. Follow him if you don't already. Follow Denny Blanco at Sir Sir Denny Blanco on both IG and Twitter. Myself, Randy J Cruz, R E N D Y, the letter J C R U Z on both IG and Twitter. Find the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. 
ballislife.com and also on youtube.com slash ballislifepodcast network for myself, Josiah Denny Blanco. We out. Ball is life. Yes, sir.